If you turn with me now in your Bibles to Philippians, the book of Philippians, we are continuing our series as we preach through this book together, or as I preach through this book together with you. This morning we will be in chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come now to hear you speak to us through the preaching of your word. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your law. Encourage our hearts that we may know the grace of Christ towards us. Convict us of sin that needs to be repented of. And strengthen us as we walk in obedience to you, to live to your glory and for the good of your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our text this morning is about servants who love the church. You can see the title there printed in your, in your bulletin. This book of Philippians is about servants in the church, preeminently about Christ, the chief servant. The chief slave who was not ashamed and who was not afraid to become a slave and a servant to give himself for the sake of the church. The question I want to ask you today is, do you love the church? Of the many things that you can love in this life, do you love the church? You might love God's word. You might love preaching by good preachers. You might love other Christians that are friends to you, but do you love the church? And more particularly, do you love this particular church? It is important as we think about loving the church that it's something particular, that this is a manifestation of the church of God. That is the question I would like you to ask this morning. Do you love the church? And our text this morning presents two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who love the church. And I'd like for us to look at 
how Paul describes these men and their love for the church this morning to encourage us how we can better love the church and grow in our love for the church this morning. I'd like to look at this in two different ways. The first is what servants are like who love the church. Servants who love the church, what are they like? What is their character? And the second thing I would like to see this morning is what servants who love the church are willing to do. So first, what servants are like. Paul tells us several things about Timothy. This is who our first point will cover is Timothy and what he is like. He tells us, I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Everybody else seeks their own interests, but not the interests of Christ. And Paul tells us, you know Timothy's proven worth, how he has served with me as a son with the Father. He has served with me in the gospel. There are several things we see here. First, we see Timothy has a genuine concern for the church. Now, this is not a feigned concern, a pretended concern. I care about you in words, but there's never any follow-through. This is not mere lip service that Timothy offers to the church. Yes, I really care about you, but there's no follow-through in his actions. But he has genuine concern. It is authentic. It's real. It's demonstrable in his life. You know what genuine concern is. You know when you have genuine concern for somebody in your own life. You're troubled when they make destructive decisions in their life. You watch them choosing a life and a path of life that you know is going to result in significant consequences for them. A child, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. You see them doing things and you're concerned and you want them to turn around and go a different path. You have a genuine concern for what is happening in their life. Not only when people choose foolishness, but also when you see people suffering. You see your friends or family suffering and you reach out to them. You send text messages. You make phone calls. You show up at their door. You find ways to minister to their need, to care for them. Because you're concerned for them. You don't want them to suffer. A servant of the church is one who is concerned for the welfare of the church. They have a genuine concern that this church will do well. That she will thrive. Will not suffer. Will not be led astray into all kinds of sins. That this church will do well. One of the problems, though, that we have is we often hear about people talking about the church in abstract. Yes, I love the church. They talk about the growth of the church. We need to grow the church everywhere. They talk about the success of church in certain ways. They think that they, because they talk about the church, that this means that they care about it. But genuine concern for the church is not something abstract. It's not something out there that we talk about the church as if it's this thing that's above us and outside of us that we look for. And so many people are concerned with this, and they confuse that this is genuine concern for the church. 
They think, well, I care that the church is expanding. I care that the church is growing. I care that the church is expanding in its influence throughout our culture, that it's changing it, transforming it. That's what's important. Meanwhile, they neglect their local church. They neglect the place that God has put right before them, an expression of his church. This is right where you can show your care and concern for the church. The people sitting in the pews right next to you. Genuine concern is particular. And the Apostle Paul shows this over and over in the New Testament. He writes letters to particular churches. Paul is not writing general letters that he is just saying to the church and just saying, everybody needs to listen to this pious advice. No, he writes to the Philippians who are struggling and suffering. So much so does he care for this particular church that he says, I want to send my most favored servant to minister to your need. I have no one like him. He is unique of all the people that serve with me. Paul cares about this particular church in Philippi. Do you care about this particular church In Madison, this particular church that you attend or that you are a member of, do you care about it? Are you willing to love her despite all her failures and weaknesses? Are you willing to give yourself to her? Are you willing to give yourself to her for her welfare and nourishment? Are you willing to submit when things are hard? Are you willing to encourage When people fail, do you want to help this church and love it? A second characteristic is that they care about the interests of Christ. Servants who love the church care about the interests of Christ. Paul describes that there were those around him who did not care for others' interests, but they cared for their own. He makes this sweeping statement. It's almost jarring to us. I have no one like Timothy that I can send to you who will be genuinely cared for your interests. All these other people that are around me, they care for their own interests. This is a side note for us. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. We think if Paul came here, he can put things in order and make everything go well. But wherever Paul is writing this letter to this church, things aren't going so well. The early church was a mess. It is is a golden age in one sense. It is a golden age when the apostles are writing scripture and there are gifts manifested among the church, yet everyone around Paul is seeking his own interests. Even in the golden age, even in the best time that we can think of the church, there is still struggle. It's hard. But for us today... What do we care about? What are our interests? We have things we love, and rightly so. They're good things that we love. We love our family. We love our friends. We have things that are important to us. We enjoy our jobs. We have activities that we give ourselves to, things we enjoy. I really enjoy watching baseball. I really enjoy watching football. But how willing are we to forsake those things that we enjoy 
to set aside the things that we love, the things that are important to us, to show care and concern for the church. See, one of the hardest things about loving the church is that it's going to cost us. It would cost Paul sending his most beloved and faithful companion to help this church. It costs us. It will cost us time with our friends and family. It will cost us time doing things that we otherwise would enjoy doing. It will cost us our resources, our money, our energy. But here's the thing. Yes, it will cost us. But this is not something in the end that will feel like a cost to us. And the reason is that we love this church. It won't feel that way because this church is ultimately something that we love. And when we love something, we don't think about cost. A husband and a wife, when they give themselves to each other, when a husband buys something for his wife, he's not thinking about cost for his wife. He wants to buy the most expensive thing that he can possibly afford for his wife. He wants to give her the best that he possibly can give. We don't think about it. We don't think about all the other things that we have when we love somebody. We want to just give. And this is what Jesus shows about the church. When he comes back in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and goats, and he separates the sheep and the goats, and he says this to the sheep about the way that they treated him. They visited him in prison. They visited him when he was sick. They did all these things for him. And what's their response to him? Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? The reason they say this is because they don't even realize it's a cost to them. They're just doing it because they love these people. You're hungry, of course I'm going to feed you. You're sick, of course I'm going to come and help you. You were a stranger, of course I'm going to welcome you. You were naked, well, yeah, here's my clothes. You were sick and in prison, yes, I'm going to come visit you. It wasn't even a question. There was no cost associated with this. But there's one last thing that he points out about Timothy that Paul tells to us today. That he loves the gospel. You know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And the reason that Timothy served with Paul is because he loved the gospel. He loved the good news. He loved what the good news said. That God has saved the church. That God has saved her from her sin and brought them to himself. And God loves this church. It is his prized possession. Of all the things that God has made, the church is his most precious thing to him. And the gospel declares that God has made that possible and brought that about. And Timothy loves that. He loves the gospel. And so he loves the church. So this is the first thing about what a servant is like. 
They have genuine concern. They care about the interests of Christ and they love the gospel. But then Paul gives us a second example here of what servants are willing to do. Now Paul has Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was likely the one who brought money to Paul to help Paul's ministry as Paul conducted ministry where where he was doing it. It was a gift to them from the church in Philippi. And Paul had Epaphroditus with him. Apparently on his journey to go serve Paul, to give them this gift of money, Paul says Epaphroditus got sick. He fell ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Travel in that time is not the same as it is today. We don't, they didn't have cars that had air conditioning and heaters. You could imagine walking several hundred miles potentially even by yourself. Paul speaks about this in Corinthians, that he was in in danger of robbers and thieves as he was going about doing his missionary journeys. Exposed to the elements without all the modern conveniences that we have, yes, it would be very easy to get sick. But Paul focuses on one particular thing about Epaphroditus. What was Epaphroditus willing to do? So receive him with joy in the Lord and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Risking his life. What are servants willing to do? They are willing to take risks. They are willing to step out. And say, I'll go. Yes, there's danger ahead that lies for me on this journey. But that's okay. I love this Philippian church and I want them to have what they're giving to Paul. I'll go, even if that means I may get sick and die. Which he almost did. His fears came true. Servants are willing to take risks. Now, does this mean that every one of us needs to do exactly what Epaphroditus did? Not necessarily. But you are only willing to take risks when you are confident that God is sovereign over all the affairs of your life. I want you to see something that Paul says multiple times in this passage. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. I trust in the Lord that, I sh- that shortly I myself will come also to you. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord. Paul is aware that his ministry is conducted under the sovereign lordship of God. And he is confident that God is going to care and lead and guide him no matter where he goes in his life. The same for Timothy and the same for Epaphroditus. Now confidence in God's sovereignty, no matter what we're going through in our life, does not make us foolish. We don't just go blindly into situations without consideration for what things might go. I'm sure Epaphroditus, as he was going, thought about his journey. He made a good plan. He probably figured out ways of protection, lodging on the way. He thought this through, but he didn't stop him from going on this journey. It means, ultimately, 
that we're not conservative. We live in the most risk-averse society probably ever known to man. You are literally protected on almost every way you can imagine from danger and harm. I just think back when I was a kid and I used to ride my bike around in my neighborhood. And kids just don't do that hardly at all. I don't see kids riding around their bikes in my neighborhood. It was a normal thing. We would go miles when I was a kid. Now there's reasons. There's reasons our society and culture has changed that maybe it's not always a good idea for your kid to ride around. But there's so many ways that our society and culture is averse to any form of risk. We're calculating about everything we do. We weigh all the potential risks before we take, make a decision. We don't want to take risks because we don't want something to go wrong. We want the outcomes to be guaranteed. We want us to succeed. And we know if we take a risk, then there's a chance, an opportunity that we may fail. Think about Epaphroditus. What if he fails? What if he actually gets sick and dies on his journey? He falls into a river. He gets kidnapped by robbers, and they kill him and take his money. Should he have not gone? Was that a foolish decision for him to do that? We want guaranteed outcomes. But love for something will prompt you to not be conservative in your love, but to be liberal in your love. Taking risks to show affection and care. And taking risks in order to show, to see the church grow and thrive. When you love someone or something, you are willing to take risks for it. Epaphroditus loved the church, and he loved the Apostle Paul. So much so that he was willing to make this dangerous journey. Many of you will know this quote that I'm about to share from C.S. Lewis, but he touches on this very thing about the risky nature of love. It comes from his book, The Four Loves. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. His point is that we, our tendency is to protect ourselves. That we will not be exposed to harm and danger and hurt. But he shows in that passage that what will end up happening is our heart will harden to the point where we no longer can show love nor can we receive love. And he says this in the next paragraph. He says, Christ did not teach and suffer that we might become, even in the natural loves, more careful of our own happiness. The point of what Lewis is saying is that love and caution are almost at odds with each other. We want to protect our happiness, and so we don't give of ourselves. Because if we give, then we may not succeed. We may fail. And the moment we refuse to take risks is the moment that we have loved ourselves more than those around us. Paul takes a risk. He's going to send his 
most faithful servant. That's a risk for him. Everybody else around him cares about themselves. He's about to take a risk. Epaphroditus takes a risk. He's going to take this journey that could cost him his life. But they are looking out for the interests of those that are around them. And this is precisely what 1 John says about the nature of love. 1 John 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But then John says this amazing statement, We love because He, God, first loved us. And this is where I'd like to close this this morning. What is going to move us to take risks, to love those around us, to love this particular church, is knowing that God has loved us first. That God has sent His greatest servant of love to us. But there's something astonishing about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus did not take a risk. Jesus did not take a risk when he loved us. Because risk implies uncertainty. That you don't know what is going to happen. Epaphroditus, he took a risk that he could certainly die on his journey. And he nearly did. But Jesus did not take a risk. Jesus was not uncertain about what would happen to him. Jesus knew exactly what would happen to him on his journey. He knew that he was going to die. He knew it. But he still went. He knew that the only way to save us, the only way to help his church, was to die for it. He knew that he would have to endure all of God's wrath and anger against sin. He knew it. But he still went. He still came to save us. He loved us. That's why he came. He came, he gave his life, he laid down his life because he loves us. And he loved us when we were still sinners, when we were unlovely, when nothing in us was worth loving. He still loved us. See, behind Jesus' willingness to become a servant is his love for the church. Christ loved the church, and he still loves the church. Christ loves you, Christian. And He still loves you. And He will continue to love you throughout all your life. Perfect love casts out fear. Do you know yourself as one loved by Jesus Christ? As one that Jesus Christ has died for? That He has given His life up for your sake? Know that He has loved you. 
And it is from that place that you will be able to care about the interests of the church, that you will be willing to take risks when they come. So remember the love of Christ today, what he has done for you. Not taking a risk, but going willingly to die for your sake. Our Father in heaven, we are unworthy of your love, but you still love us. We thank you, Lord. For your love. As we sing today, how could a sinner such as I? Yeah, Lord, you have loved us. And we pray that you would grow in us the love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.